Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. And I'm really happy to welcome Carrie to the podcast today. So let me tell you a little bit about Carrie. We're joined by Carrie Severson, who is the author of Unapologetically Enough and the CEO of a hybrid book publishing business. She started her publishing business after spending years pitching literary agents in the hopes of being published traditionally. All her rejection letters from literary agents came down to the same thing. They all loved the work. They all compared the work to well-known authors, but because she didn't have a big enough platform, agents always passed on her. Carrie used that pivot in life and launched a company that could help women just like her unapologetic in their stories without massive followings. She's married to her best friend and on her next sole quest to become the next version of herself. She can be reached at unapologeticallyenough.com and we'll find out more about where you can find Carrie at the end. But Carrie, welcome. It's so lovely to have you here with us. Thank you. I love that um, bio. That is actually what I created specifically for this journey and hearing it read out loud again just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. So thanks so much. <laughs> Do you ever, I, sometimes when I've written a bio and people read it, you think, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. I, I, yeah, actually that is. And the concept of soul quest um, is really something that I initiated a term for as I was coming out of burnout, as I was rebuilding my like cellular structure after, you know, IVF failures and this concept of like accepting myself as enough each day is this concept of soul quest. I'm hearing it read by somebody else is really cool. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you wrote it. I know, right? <laughs> but you're welcome. I read it out. <laughs> Carrie, <sighs> okay, I can tell already this could be great fun. Um, even though we've got some really big topics to talk about. Um, and I guess where I'd like to start, if, if that's okay with you, is um, you mentioned about IVF. And I think that's something that we've not talked about before on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And something I, I've not had that experience, but I imagine must be a really, really heavy topic, a really mm-hmm. heavy experience to kind of go yeah. through. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about yeah. that with us. So um, I'm... A professional writer. And uh, when I was about 37, I'm in my 40s now. So years ago, I wrote about this really bad experience. I wrote about a really bad date. And I was on this date with this man. And he, I always am an entrepreneur. So I always got questions about how come I haven't been married, why I haven't had children. And um, I say that I got that question so many times that I could have had a laminated response card in my back pocket and just like whipped it out. So I got the question, why haven't you been married? And when I told him I was running after my career, he was like, well, you missed your chance to get married and have kids. And that's too bad. And that was, I was in my late thirties. So after that, I, I left the date said, thank you. I don't want to see you again. And then I wrote about that experience for massive women's media outlet here in the States. And the response from that was outrageous. Like women from all over the world came forward and were like, I'm people say that to me all the time, you know? And so, um, I made an agreement with myself after that, that if I hadn't met the man I was going to marry, I would 
within a year, I would look into preserving my eggs. So I wound up finding myself in a doctor's office like six months later. And that's what happened. He was like, Hey, you should really consider doing this. Um, I was pitched by his team of people that frozen eggs only have a 30% chance of making it to a live birth. You should consider making embryos too. So here I was as a single woman and totally out of my realm. But again, going back to this idea of like, I don't know where this dude is. I want to give myself the possibility of having my own children. I should do this plan B and plan C sort of presented itself to me. So I moved forward with it. Um, the stress of all of that was one thing. The stress of the price of the fertility drugs was something that was never addressed. So a couple of days after I get this, like I signed this like huge contract. So yeah, I'm going to go through with this. I get a call from a pharmacy. They're like, Hey, you owe us six grand. Your drugs are ready. And I'm like, <laughs> you have the wrong number. I don't know anybody's six grand. I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, no, you are going forward with this harvest. They called it a harvest. These are the drugs you have to take. And at none, no point whatsoever in any of the conversation I had with the doctor or any of his team, did the concept of drugs come up or the price? I didn't know to ask. I never been, it was very much like it, it felt like I was being taken advantage of from the get-go <clears throat> and the, the stress of that put my body in like a immediate sort of fight or flight mechanism. It was almost, I had like a PTSD reaction while I was in it. So, um, I went through it. I accepted it. I kept coming back to this point of like, I'm doing this for plan B plan C. So yeah, I did. I did that. Um, it was, uh, really awful to be honest. Like the, I early ovulated, I lost everything the first time it was, I was feeling, and women who put themselves in this position to take fertility drugs will say the same thing. It's like, we feel every emotion at the same time, um, in every millisecond. And we don't know really there's, I, I didn't have a coach to kind of guide me through that. I didn't know anyone who had ever done it. It's not something that's widely talked about. So I just sort of winged it. Um, I early ovulated, I lost everything. It was incredibly painful, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And um, as a single woman, I really felt like I was alone in this um, suffering, right? It was a traumatic experience right from the start. So um, <clears throat> a couple, maybe a month after that experience, I called the doctor to actually talk about it because I was like, this was a $10,000 experience and I don't have anything to show for it. And you haven't called me to talk about it. That's in my opinion, like unethical, unacceptable, you know, I want to sit down with you and actually talk about it. So, um, he offered me a second round for free and he gave me the option of having like my, the drugs, uh, at half a price, he gave me free samples and I was like, okay, I'm going to try this one more time. This is it. You know, it's at a deeper discount. I can figure this out. And so I accepted it a second time and it didn't work a second time. It was almost like the universe was putting me in a position to eventually get to a point to talk about it. 
um, I did my experience through that journey. The first time I, you know, I kept exercising and I let my body, I eat whatever I wanted. And the second time I would meditate and sit on couches for like hours at a time, I ate like fruit and vegetables and that's it. I, I did both. I did two experiences very, very differently. I knew what to expect the second time. So I was prepared for the feeling of wanting to punch somebody out while also giving them a hug. Like it is like anger and compassion at the same time. It's crazy. Um, but I lost everything a second time. So that was my, and the pain of that, the trauma of that, um, was there for me. And it took probably two to three years to recover from that. Um, the, the really hard piece of it was about six weeks after my last shot. And I ended up taking 107 shots and that's for two rounds. I know women who have done this five, six, seven. I even saw someone yesterday post that she was doing it for an eighth time. I cannot possibly imagine putting my body through that eight times. I won't do it again. But um, about six weeks after I took the last shot, I got the flu. I hadn't had the flu in about 20 years. So I just accepted the fact that my body was breaking down. I needed to rest. I needed to address everything that I had been pushing down. And then two weeks after I recovered from that, I got a second flu. And then over the next four months, I got eight bacteria infections and a wild rash up and down my entire torso and mold poisoning, candida. It was, my body was expressing all of the junk I put in it externally. Like it was crazy. Um, and I was getting tested for everything under the sun, like multiple sclerosis. People were testing me for rheumatoid arthritis. So I was being tested for cancer. Uh, I was bedridden. Like it was a decision I made because I was trying to preserve something that looking back at it, hindsight was not something my body accepted. And um, I truthfully feel like everything that happened happened so I could write this book and talk about it today because it's not addressed. The drugs aren't talked about here in the States. What we do to our bodies isn't talked about. So yeah, yeah. it was awful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that so graciously with us. And you know, I'm sure lots of people can kind of think about the emotional impact, but the, yeah. the kind of financial and, you know, the in the UK, it's not as much as it is in the US. And some rounds, uh, depending where you live, there, there is a bit of a postcode lottery. Some rounds you can get on the NHS after if you kind of jump through some hoops for it. But that kind of physical yeah. as well. Yeah. that you've, you've kind of suddenly you've got this this massive bill to pay you've got that emotional you know whether it's been successful or not and then you've got that physical yeah impact it has well. to come up somehow yeah yeah then there's the okay so if it did work I've got these thing I've got these eggs or embryos on ice and then you have to pay consistently to keep them on ice like the whole thing is just wild that we don't think about when we go into it so it was like I remember um, I actually wrote about it a lot for women's magazines as I was going through it. And um, there were doctors in networks here in the States that 
would pitch women and it very much like a pampered chef sort of thing. It was like, get 10 of your friends together. We'll send a doctor out. And if you buy that night, you get 10% off your first year. And it, it was like, that's what it was five, you know, seven years ago. It was almost as if women in their late thirties were being preyed upon by this industry to take action. And they were moving from a place of fear. And I was, I, I got caught into it. I moved from a place of fear. Because there's a few, um, I, I'm not very good with when films came out, but there are a couple of films, aren't there? Of um, Wasn't there one with Jennifer Aniston and Jennifer Lopez, but they're in their late 30s and then they've got the whole, oh, should I have kids or not? And so there's very like zeitgeisty kind of, you know, oh, if you're in your late 30s, this is what you should be thinking about and doing. And although now the concept of going to like a party and then just seeing. I know. Um, yeah, egg preservation parties. And then specifically the payment of keeping whatever was harvested frozen for an additional price. I, um, yeah, my book is being reviewed a lot by a number of women who are fertility coaches and helping people understand it. Everything from embryo adoption all the way over to, uh, mental health fertility coaches. It is a wide spectrum that, um, I was totally unaware of prior to moving into this. And I'm so grateful that there are people out there that are helping women in these various stages because it is, um, it is a, a mental funnel that is sincerely painful on a, a number of levels. So you said, after the first round that you then hadn't really heard from your doctor, was there any, you know, before you started, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the impact. Let's think about. None. You know. Nothing. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I was just going on this, I was trusting these people and I was just going into it. Like, Oh, these are the professionals. They're the experts. They say, I need to do this. I need to do this. And I, I didn't pump the brakes and slow down, which is my own fault to, um, I guess really ask, I didn't know about the drugs. No one said anything about the drugs. So I should have once that, that call came in from the pharmacy, I should have actually asked about these drugs and what they are and looked into them, but I didn't, I just went blindly into this trusting that the experts were leading me in the right direction. And that was my first mistake. So how are you doing now, you know, in yourself, kind of emotionally, physically and everything? Um, I've healed and come to terms and for like really processed the trauma of that experience. Um, and I think I've put enough space between me and it where, you know, I lost embryos. I lost the opportunity. Um, and that was, that was hard. I think I came to terms with that several years ago. Um, I am, I'm married now and my husband and I, um, my husband has three children from a previous marriage. And so I'm a stepmom. and, you know, we would, we would love the opportunity to be parents ourselves and whether that's in the cards for us or not is something that is a daily acceptance for me. And some days are easier than others, but what I was able to do in the healing was accept myself as enough 
with or without my own children and knowing that my life path wasn't a mistake. Um, I've done phenomenal things in my life <clears throat> as a single woman, as a married woman, as a stepmom. And if given the opportunity to have my own children, I would do phenomenal things as well. And so there's this constant acceptance that has to happen in order for me to sort of be in continued peace with um, myself as, you know, as Carrie without my own kids. And you said before on the date, you know, that you could have had that laminated card of, you know, the questions yeah. that people ask you. Do you still get questions from people of, oh, are you going to have your own kids? Are you, you know, does yep. that still it's, happen? Now it's um, because I'm in my mid forties. I think women, they stopped asking me if I'm going to have my own kids. And the first, the first, a lot of questions I get now that they know I'm married is, do you guys have kids? When I say I'm a stepmom, the conversation sort of shifts. Um, so I do get questions around children, but once they know that I'm not a mom, I'm a stepmom, different questions come up. Um, and now that this book is out into the world, or at least it will be here in mid-May, um, <clears throat> a lot of people just ask me questions about the book. <laughs> is that easier than the, cause it can be Personal really, stuff. really personal content to go like, tell me about you know your plans children are you going to have them what's going on with your like that's what people are asking isn't it and it's very it can be very yeah. invasive particularly if you know there are challenges there and yeah it can be it always was um sometimes I remember like in my late 30s early 40s before my husband and I got together if I was given the opportunity um before I wrote this book if they were like oh are you a mom I would sometimes lie and be like yeah and then I would, you know, I would just go with the conversation because it was easier than getting the, the feeling of having to defend my life or explain my life. Um, and that is really something that I really hope this conversation of enough does sort of unclick that comparison of like, your journey is your journey. It has nothing to do with my journey and how you feel about yourself has nothing to do with how I feel about myself or this, like, you know, it's not my responsibility to carry the weight of what you think of me or my life. Right. And, um, that's been the ongoing opportunity is to accept that your version of my life is none of my business. Is that where the unapologetically kind of comes from that? Yeah. Yeah. So the unapologetic concept came to me as I was turning 40 because I had um, just really come out of this. It was almost like a, it was a true transformation where to heal my body internally, externally, to heal my mind, my heart, to move past this trauma that started. I My last shot was in December of 2017. I'm sorry, my last shot was in um, December of 2016. I spent all of 2017 healing. I met my husband in 2018. <clears throat> I turned 40 um, in, somewhere in there. I'm so bad with that. But um, the unapologetic really came forward during that time where I was like, you know what? I'm tired of this, like, of having to defend it, of having to explain it. Um, I'm not doing it anymore, so... <laughs> 
And as I'm turning 40, I don't feel like I should have to. So that was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, it's a brilliant title and uh, we'll tell people in a little while where they, where they can find the book as well. And thank you, as I said, for, for sharing a really, really personal experience with us. And I think it's really important, you know, to, for people to share so that other people who are experiencing it can kind of hear Mm -hmm. those stories, which like you said, we don't really talk about. We don't know. No. Um, So yeah, I I mean, we could, (laughs) keep talking and that so much more we could talk about um but I haven't got all night with you unfortunately so um (laughs) because I could just talk about this all day that as I said that that sounded a little bit like suggestive as well so sorry about that (laughs) that's all right Um, so I'd love to ask you my set questions and and hear your thoughts on these Uh, so the first one uh, links to our overarching topic on the podcast is what does mental wellness or mental well-being mean to you Mental well-being, mental wellness, honestly feels, um, for me, it's a concept of being aligned with myself, feeling um, at home in myself. And when I don't feel at home, I know that there's something I have to tweak, adjust. It could be small, it could be big, but it's my main priority of that day. And so when I wake up and I'm like, I don't feel, I don't feel good. I don't feel, I feel sticky. I feel stuck sometimes I use the word icky with my coach. I'm like, yeah, today's an icky day. I don't feel good. Um, I know I have to do something. And then I spend some time really thinking or feeling into the aspect of my life that doesn't feel connected. Um, and I work on that. Brilliant. I, th- I think you've answered my follow-up, but I'll ask it again anyway, in case you want to add anything else, which is what you do to look after your own mental well-being. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I look after my (laughs) mental being in like, uh, it really does feel like an hour to hour check-in where it's like, I wake up, I give gratitude for waking up. I'm in my car. I say, you know, thank you. This beautiful day. Like I, it's a, a constant thing. I'll take deep breaths. I'll connect. I slow down. And when I'm rushing, I know if I'm just going, 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 I know myself well enough to know that that's not the answer. Something bad's going to, I'm going to feel icky here soon. I have to slow down. So it, for me, it's, um, it really is an hour to hour sort of check-in. Um, I've learned in the past that my mental, mental well-being is uh, more of a spiritual and emotional aspect than it is a physical. I've pushed my body to the limits before. And I know now that like, that will, that will, increase my endorphins, get all the serotonin going and all that jazz. But for me, it's a short-term impact. What helps my overall well-being is slowing down and being at peace. And it is more of a, a breath work meditation thing than the physical piece now. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, this next question is one of my favorites to ask. Um, so I asked everyone that comes on to share one to three top tips, like general life tips with us that you'd recommend that could have a massive impact in our lives. Well, um, years ago I started my first thing in the morning. Once I, I give gratitude as I'm like getting up is, um, I drink 32 ounces of water. Like before I have coffee, I make sure to just sit and drink water and it's slowed Again, for me, it's this pace thing because I burn out, right? Rush, 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 rush. Slowing down and 
it takes a second. It takes 15, 20 minutes to drink 32 ounces of water. But um, since I started doing that, I feel clear. Um, I've taken some time to just be at peace with myself and be just be. Um, and that is something I've done now for several years. And that feels really good. Come the middle of the day, I give myself the opportunity to take a 15 or 20 minute sort of break, whether if I'm where I work from home. So whether if that's something I haven't ate, I have, I'm tired, I need to rest. I block out 30 minutes a day to just in the middle of the day, it could be two o'clock, three o'clock to do whatever my body physically needs to do, rest, eat, just sit. I, that's something I've done now for, I don't know, probably four or five years. And that feels really good. The third thing I do is um, when I was in the thick of it, I would go for gentle walks. It would take me, you know, 15, 20 minutes to walk a mile sometimes because my body had so much inflammation after all the drugs that I had to be really gentle with myself. I would do it outside. I would sit down and I would pay attention to the colors of around me. And for some reason, invoking that sensory that I hadn't paid attention to before really turned something on inside me. And so I would sit on a bench and I would look at the, the trees, the images of the clouds on the water. Um, I would listen to the birds. I would imagine the sunlight coming down through my pores. Like I really invoked every sensory and gave myself the time and the space to be. And so for me, the, the real theme over the last five years has been shifting out of the doing into the just being, which is a daily thing. It's super hard for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love those. Thank you. It's definitely, I can definitely relate to that. It's something I need to do more of. Um, So I know we've mentioned your book and in just a moment, we'll remind people of the details of that, but I ask everyone that comes on, if they have a book recommendation of a book or a TED talk or something that has been really impactful in your life that you'd recommend we check out. I read Seed of the Soul a couple of years ago. Um, and that changed my life that I'm a highly intuitive person, very spiritual person um, that really changed how I looked at things. And the um, I'll give a second one because this one really did something for me too. Uh, the Soul of Money that changed the way I looked at my financial. And I read that in the middle of all of the IVF craziness. And those two books I could read and get something from over and over and over again. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. I've not heard of either of those. So I always love it when there are new mm-hmm. books that, <laughs> I've not, that I've got a massive reading list already, but I'll add those to it. Uh, Carrie, thank you so, so much. So my final question is where people can connect with you. If you can remind us the details of your book and where we can find it, that'd be fab. Mm-hmm. My website is unapologeticallyenough.com. The title of my book is Unapologetically Enough. It drops May 24th, anywhere you buy books. And um, I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Lovely. And this will be out ooh, just before then, um, <laughs> the beginning of May. So when people hear this, you'll have like a couple of weeks until Carrie's book drops. So uh, definitely check thank that out. You. But Carrie, yeah, thank you so, so much for joining us um, and for sharing a really personal story with us. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. 
a huge thank you to Carrie for joining us and everything she so graciously shared with us. I really hope that you have enjoyed this conversation, that you've taken something from it. Um, as we said, really, really important topic for us to be discussing and to, to shed more light on because it's not really talked about and sometimes still the, the questions that we ask people about their personal lives maybe are touching on some really, really painful things grief loss shame lots lots and lots of big things so um a little reminder maybe to to kind of think before you ask questions sometimes in our society it can be the normal sort of question to ask someone's got married um are you gonna have children someone start dating someone are you gonna get married and actually not everybody one wants those things and wants their life to to pan out that way and two you don't know we never know what is going on for someone in their life internally, you know, in their external environment. And actually that people could be experiencing a whole load of complex intermingled emotions, pain, loss, grief, all of those things. Um, there are kind of seemingly innocent question actually can be really, really painful for someone. So a little thing to, to ponder on maybe, um, so yes, thank you to Carrie and we'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, as always, friends, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. <laughs>